listening to the Morning Podcast. Uh, today it's me and Zach. Uh, everyone else is out and about, hopefully safe and sound. Um, and today we'll be talking about something that Zach decided to bring up. Uh, Zach, if you will. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about technology in the world today. And uh, technology is a pretty broad term, so we're going to cover uh, a lot of different topics, I think, today. But uh, by technology, we're tending to mean kind of the modern, like, screens and the internet and kind of, you know, you know, all kind of that, more like that. So that will involve, uh, we're hoping to kind of discuss a little bit, uh, personal use of screens and how that's affected our society and our minds in positive and negative ways. And then we're also going to talk about some of the kind of government um, uses of technology for surveillance and stuff like that. Um, so I kind of got the idea from the fact that in, corona- in this season of coronavirus and the quarantines from it, technology has become a huge deal and really is a huge blessing in many ways in the way it has connected people through Zoom or other video chat things and through all the technology that communications technology that allows us to keep in touch with people as well as movies and TV shows and um, our computers and phones and all that that allows us to stay tuned to news and media as well. And so that was my idea is that those are positive things um, because of that. However, I do think there can also be uh, abuse of technology uh, and so I specifically think of a uh, famous book, uh, Neil Postman's uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death, which is about um, how he feels that TV at his time, because this was before the age of smartphones, um, he felt like TV was reducing our ability to think logically through arguments. And it was kind of changing the way that we look at what's true and what's not. So those are just kind of some basic thoughts of some initial things on it. Um, Noah, do you have any other thoughts on that subject? That's interesting. I hadn't heard of that book before. So that book you said was written before the age of TVs were popular in the American home? Uh, well, no, so it was about the time that TV was super popular, but computers and phones oh, had not been popular. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, 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 okay. And um, I, I kind of heard you there, but I got kind of distracted. My dog started <laughs> going off in the back. Um, what... What was you said the book was about him just predicting what TVs and stuff might do in the future? Was that is that is that what you said? I missed it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. So what he what his main idea was just that he felt like um what he was noticing in the world because this was written in the 80s is when he wrote it. What he mm-hmm. was noticing in the world around him is that um he felt like a lot of people were taking what TV said and seeing it as true, and he was just real saying that. Um, what happened is TV is very deceptive just because instead of he was talking, he was comparing it to uh, hearing someone speak or conversing with someone or reading something. He felt like in those technologies, you, um, you basically are constantly, your mind has to be very engaged. You're kind of wrestling with those ideas and really thinking through it where he felt like in TV, because it's so focused on what you're seeing, the image becomes more important. And so he would point to classic things like the, you know, the Kennedy and Nixon debate where Nixon looked terrible on TV. He looked like he was sweaty and nervous <laughs> and everything. And Kennedy yeah. looked awesome. And so people thought, oh, Kennedy must be the better president. And he's like, that means nothing about who's the better president. Now, of course, ironically, in that way, Nixon ended up being corrupt. So that doesn't tell us something in that. But it is That's, true that Nixon actually had a lot more qualifications than Kennedy. So it's kind of interesting the way that technology affected how people thought about the candidates. Right. I see what you mean. 
Okay, I think it's funny to think that the concept of the the idea that back then they had noticed that people were taking TV as false, uh, not false, as true just by watching it. Like just seeing that back then, people noticing that and calling that out. And today we're having a big problem of a lot of people saying if it's if it's on if it's on the news, it's true. And believing everything they everything they see, everything they read, everything that they consume from external of themselves, that's not from another person, as saying this is true, and it's it's just so funny to see those two things happening at the same time and hearing about somebody in the '80s saying this was happening today. Yeah, like how much how much worse has it gotten today? Yeah, like <laughs> just seeing like how much worse we have it now, and just seeing like people have taken that and used it. And so then, I, I don't know. I think I came to this conclusion a while back when it came to like the news and stuff, because I have uh, I love them to pieces, but I have some family members who are glued to the to the news sometimes. Like they mm-hmm. they're stuck there at the news, and then you'll be at family gatherings and they'll they'll just talk about how bad everything is, and then I just mm-hmm. look at them and say, well, what are you going to do about it? I mean, how does your how does your little newscast sitting there watching it all day, twenty four seven, change the fact that this is going on in the world? You know everything you know about it. Why do you still watch it? And so I came to the conclusion that you just yeah, that's really interesting uh, because what I was thinking is that uh, I think he, I, as I was reviewing for for this podcast, looking kind of at the summary of his book, it kind of reminded me of the part where he talked about the action versus information ratio and his Mm -hmm. idea was that in tv you get tons and tons of information but the amount of of information that you can actually act on and change and Mm -hmm. do something about is very small and so it ends up making you feel helpless sometimes and just talking negatively because there's very little you can do about it where if you're like you know at at a rally or something or whatever actually hearing people speak there's a lot more kind of interaction where together you're kind of like empowering each other like all right we're gonna go do something about this kind of thing right and and that's what and then at that point if you just get to that point where you're just talking negative to me it's just it's time to turn off the tv and go find something better to do with my life (laughs) i mean as you said there's one thing to be at a a rally and and showing up and supporting something and there's nothing of sitting at home and complaining about what you saw on um on C-SPAN or whatever you watch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's very interesting because, um, the other thing is that, uh, people have felt like often the people who are, um, it's hard to tell who, who knows what they're talking about, because generally if you kind of talk confidently on TV or seem like, you know what you're talking about and seem official looking on TV, then people tend to be more likely to believe you. Same with news or that's true with everything, man. If I, if I stand up in front of a um, in front of a group of people and talk confidently, they're more likely to believe me. I mean, I did it all through high school and I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's it's just it's just the, the truth. I mean, if you if you stand there and act confident, you fake it till you make it. That literal saying, people take that. They don't rather than what you say. If, if you act a certain way, people are more lenient to believe you. And we see that a lot today with our current president. Yeah, I mean, it is It is true. It is true, yes. And I think I think his analysis of it was that he felt like often people who are good-looking also get get more in terms of as far as speaking. So he felt like it ends up, those are, people are always going to be favored anyway, but he felt like 
that with the screen, it ends up enhancing that even more to where it's like how you look and how you present yourself on TV, even if you're a terrible person in real life, you know, are different. And so he felt like when you read or something like that, you have more time to really process, okay, does this make any sense? Where on a screen, you're more like, you just kind of get a quick impression and you're like, I have to concur with the guy because I mean, if we see like newscasts, like, like, um, I'm going to point out specifically Fox News because if you look at a lot of their female anchors, a lot of them look alike. Yeah. Like like they, like they have the same uh, basic features of hair color, maybe eye, eye color, something like that. They all look kind of similar. So it's like they're picking specific features to appeal, you know? And oh, yeah. I think, I think that's across all TV in general. I think even it is movies and media and everything there's a certain type of person that people want to see because it's like well the person who have it who is attractive or whatever is much more likely to make it mm-hmm. and then we see that also picked out um if we want to get out of sight of tv and get into more of the um online streaming platform like youtube and um other and like youtube like don't YouTube, is GodTube still a thing? I don't know if GodTube's still a thing. But uh, YouTube, we see that also as well. We see people who they desire to see more on the screen picked more out of the other people as being the more watched person. We see that as well. People just actively do that, or passively do that, I mean. Yeah, and I think that enhances the thing that always happens of the people who are really trying to think through things are often kind of brushed aside by the people who are more just like, here's how it is. Don't you believe in me? Don't I seem like a nice person? And Mm so um, the famous example I think of, for at least for myself, is uh, in the Lord of the Flies, the book, the uh, the one character, uh, I think it's Piggy, who is the guy who's supposed to be kind of the, the thinker. He's the one saying, hey, maybe we should do this. Maybe we shouldn't do that. And then, kind of uh jack who ultimately becomes kind of the villain he kind of just runs over everybody it's just like hey here's what we're doing and he's you know evil but basically you know ultimately piggy the intellectual is killed so it's the whole idea of like basically reason is destroyed the evil people often just kind of sweep reason to the side and nobody listens to the reasonable person because they're like oh they look weird you know or oh they they don't do enough action you know they're thinking and so kind of the idea of that media makes it even easier to kind of enhance that effect of it's like oh that's too much work or oh that's too much data or oh that's too much information i'm just mm-hmm. gonna you know hear the quick summary of it and so then sometimes you can end up you know kind of having harmful effects because of that so i think for me it's just more a challenge to be like hey you know don't just take what people say but you know do your research try to figure out multiple voices you know to get a balanced perspective don't just mm-hmm. listen to the people who seem like they're confident and really you know they're in the public eye but I, I, I've talked to you, we've talked about politics a lot in the past, right? <laughs> we have. <laughs> and you guys seem, though, to take people at their word. Oh, yeah. More That's so. interesting. What do you yeah, say like, that? Um, for example, um, you believe you believe in candidates promises that's one thing I've noticed a lot talking to you guys in the past is you, you say he says he's going to do something and you guys believe he's going to do something. That's interesting. Yeah. So like when you say candidates promises, well, what would you say like for yourself? Like how don't don't you at some point have to believe in candidates promises when you elect them? I do. I do. I do at a point, but 
we, I, I don't know, I, I don't fully trust them and they're going to do everything that they say they're going to do, though. <laughs> uh, I, I know, I know have, what you're saying, yeah. I always but have I, a doubt. I, guess I feel like I don't, I don't necessarily trust everybody to do everything they're going to do either. Right, right, right. I don't know, that's just a, something that I was that came to my mind there. I'm not really sure much more on it beyond that. Um, so then I got, I, I don't know, um, I got to um, YouTube and stuff. What, what do you yeah. think about that? How would you think the author would write about that in his book, go, looking at it today? Like kids today just glued to phones and iPads and just on YouTube 24-7. I think he would be like, see, I told you so. And be like, <laughs> yeah, I, I knew the whole time this is what was going to happen. No, I think he would actually say that it's, it's definitely gotten worse just because uh, TV, you know, there was a sense where everybody was kind of like, even if they were being told the wrong information, everybody was kind of united around one thing. It was like, all right, well, here's the, you know, here's the three news anchors that everybody knows, you know, that each that tell us stuff, you know, on the main channels. And then now it's like with YouTube, everything's so scattered, like everybody's getting different perspectives. And so it actually makes it much harder for people to agree. And then the other thing with YouTube is that uh, the news is, you know, short and moves from thing to thing, but YouTube does that even more in that many videos are overall pretty short. So you're moving from one topic to another and you're kind of from thing to thing. Yeah, I see what you mean. So do you think that YouTube has honestly decreased our ability to get the truth or, or, or a more truthful source of information? Uh, I think so. Although I think, I think truth is always hard to find. I mean, it is even, but even in books and speakers and people are actually speaking, you know, but you still have to weed through and figure out what the truth is. And the relative to like the news category, you were saying that you get so many takes, so many different videos coming at you real quick. It's just, I was sitting here thinking, would that could, would you then also think that'd be harder to find a more I don't know what I say reliable to the source information that's what I was getting um, at. I mean sort of although in some ways you know back in the days of TV you really didn't have any backup for the information it was really just like all right here's what they show here's the video they show from Vietnam you know and that's about it right? <laughs> and there, wasn't any, there wasn't any like all right let's look into whether this is actually true it was just like well, here it is. You see it. So, of course, it's true. And, and you're like, well, no, wait a second. So, in some ways, recording. having all these voices has been good to challenge the truth. Mm-hmm. However, I think the way that it encourages us to not focus on one thing very long is also very, like, kind of scary. And so, like, uh, Neil Postman in his book, he actually specifically uses the example. He says, you know, after every piece of news, it's like, all right, here's, you know, the tsunami wherever. And then he's like, and now, you know, let's talk about the local news, you know? And so it's like, everything's just, and now this, and now this. And there's no, like, there's no interweaving of an argument, you know, through them. It's just like, just thing after thing after thing appearing in front of you. And so I think YouTube enhances that because you could just go thing after thing after thing with YouTube. And it's hard to get a coherent argument, you know, together because you're just seeing lots of different snippets of a lot of things that really don't relate to each other that much. Mm-hmm. Hmm. that's interesting so, yeah so it's it's a very it's a very fascinating book it's a it's a classic and there's still a lot of things that you're like if anything you're like it's just gotten worse you know other stuff it's, you're like 
that didn't happen pretty much everything you're like yep it's pretty much gotten worse like he said is it is it written 1984 style where the um it's like a character walking through this walking through a world or is it just like a inform informational type book where he's talking about the pot like the, the realm of tv like which one is it it's a it's like an analysis yeah so it's not okay, actually a okay. story it's basically an analysis so okay, he's like th- quoting a lot of different what'd you say that's what I was gathering from what you were saying, is it wasn't like an analysis. Yeah, he like quotes a bunch of different, you know, he quotes different sources for the past. He kind of gives examples of different things that have happened recently in the, you know, recently as in around the time he was writing and right. you know, that stuff. Yeah. Yep. So it's a, it's a good analysis, but yeah, so it is interesting. Uh, Noah, you had kind of brought up also another topic you were thinking about was just kind of yeah, how. And I was about to, are you, what are you about to get to? Yeah, you were going to start talking about like surveillance. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, that's why I brought up 1984. After you finished talking about the book there, I was going to say, it's. have you ever read 1984? You, I'm sure you have. I have, yeah. Have you read A Brave New World as well? I have not, but I've read Fahrenheit 451. I read, I've read those two in way of um, dystopian future books. I need, yeah. I, I've heard good so things about very, Brave New World. But I think you'll find very fascinating about that is that those books tell kind of a different story because 1984 and Fahrenheit 451, it's a very highly restrictive government, right? Mm -hmm. The government is kind of the one controlling everything. Where in Brave New World, the government basically gives people like this drug, Soma, in order to make them, you know, happy. And so it's actually like people are willingly put up with government surveillance because they're just like, oh, well, I'm happy. So, you know, that doesn't really matter. And so... Neil Postman actually tries to make the analysis of he claims that TV <laughs> is the new drug. That's chemtrails today is what we get, right? That's, t- That's right. <laughs> uh, no, but he uses it more of a metaphor of like, hey, you know, just be careful that you're so distracted by all the entertainment that – are you paying attention to what's going on around you kind of thing. And that's – that's um, isn't – I'm trying to think here. Isn't that what happened in Fahrenheit 451 is they just tried everything they could to keep the people from recognizing what they were actually doing? Like, um, yeah, you're right. Cars, you're right. As I were... think about it, you're right. In Fahrenheit 451, people are very distracted too. And that's when yeah. they get away with burning the books. Like the, like the cars are uh, souped up. They have uh, tons of media. Jesus is a reality TV star. Um, <laughs> um, and like they just kept – and all they ever heard in school was books are bad. Right, exactly. Yeah, so in many ways, Fahrenheit 451 kind of has a similar ver- vision to Brave New World of just kind of like people are too entertained to care. Yeah, it's and it's a it's an interesting feat, and I think like a lot of people have taken inspiration in government today from these books. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, sadly, yeah, yeah, sadly, and um, it's I don't know. Like the one thing I think of most recently is um. Over in China, we see a big shift in totalitarianism. See, in mm-hmm. the past, we, totalitarianism was was not able to function as it would like to, <laughs> per se. Yeah. Um, in the past, totalitarianism couldn't have happened because, as the name implies, it's it's total control of the people. It's it's total working of what they do. It's it's total say in where you can, what you can. What you, who you are, what you aren't. It's total control over your everyday aspect of living, breathing, and seeing. And in the past, I feel as though that's been an impossible thing to accomplish because you couldn't 
you, you, you couldn't know what everyone was doing. You couldn't know what each person was saying, what each person was thinking, which is why in um, 1984 we saw the big surveillance system that they had. But today, yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good point. I think that that is absolutely true. Like, even if you look at the way that you know the Nazis or the you know the Soviets and and you know Soviet Union, the way they mm-hmm. handled things, it was you know they could control a lot of things. But mm-hmm. a lot of times they had to rely on human informers, you know, to mm-hmm. tell people like, "Hey, this person's not following the, the rules, or this person's you know listening to Western music, you know, or whatever." Where, like, now, it's like, you know, you can just set up your whole system, and with China, you know, they use the internet, and they just use the Great Firewall to just kind of take down everything they don't like almost immediately, so nobody can, you know, access what the government doesn't want right. them to do, quickly filter what they can see. And then, um, also, that they beyond the filter, man, um, they, you know, we have the credit score here in America, right? Like, tell, right. Like, to, to tell business if we're reliable. Like, we, we can walk into a business and say, here's my credit score... I can probably get a loan on the car and pay you back. And I, I'm good for it. My, this is my number. It tells me I'm good for it. And we also have our, our SSNs for like, the government to keep track of us and like taxes and stuff. And when we get older, right. Social Security, God hope it's still around, and everything <laughs> else. And we have all that there, but we, China has taken it to a whole new level. Um, like they, they have a whole new take on this thing. That they, they, they have realized, they have realized Orwin's nightmare of 1984 into the present day. Um, they have a new, not well, I guess not new. It's been around for about four, three or four, three to five years is what I'm going to say. Three to five years is how long it's been around. You can look that up and find out more about it. But basically, it's. Whatever you do in your daily life calculates over to the score. Like uh, everyone starts out at the top, which is like I'm just going to say 800 for the sake of the conversation. And then if you go talk to a uh, Muslim, because those are people who are are seen as dehumanized over there or as uh, inferior beings, your credit score is going to drop. If you decide to go to a Christian church, your credit score is going to drop. If you decide to do anything that the state defines as contrary to the state, your credit score drops. And along with that, drops more ability for you to do things. Like the lowest level you get to, bad schools, bad neighborhoods, no traveling, no trains. Um, And then jobs also won't accept you probably because you have a bad score. And the higher you are, the more liberal you can be. Yeah, that is that is really fascinating. I, I know I know what you're talking about. I remember hearing about that. It's just it's very disturbing. But what's what I find so interesting is that a lot of people like people are sort of willing to put up with it in China. Like yeah. you know, sure, there's you know two million you know Uyghurs being put in camps, but pretty much everybody else is like you know, and like Christians, you know, churches are being raided or whatever. But the largest church was taken down. What'd you say? The largest Christian church in the world was taken down over there. They had an underground church of millions of people all together worshiping Christ, and it was taken down by the Chinese government in the past year. Oh, yeah, there's been been a lot of stuff against that. Now, what I would say is that it just feels like often when people are, you know, feeling good about society. So in China, overall, people are like, hey, we're doing pretty well. Our economy is getting better. You know, we're our economic state is pretty decent. We're not like in, you know, desperate poverty. And so when people are happy, a lot of times people are like, I'm pretty willing to go with this. You know, it's not that big of a deal. So just kind of the idea of like, 
we are willing to accept all kinds of things if we feel like we're doing okay. But how can they, I, I don't, I, but you can be happy about your government, but how can you be so happy to the point that you're willing to say, oh, I can't go to uh, this website or, oh, I can't talk to this group of people because they live their life a certain way. I mean, I, I don't, personally to me, I don't see how you can be happy with that. I don't. I, I think something else is going on here that we don't know and we'll never know until either we're taken over by China, or we take or China or China's done. Like we, we either we won't know either of those things. Um, and I think something else is going on, Zach. <laughs> well, I mean, here's what I will say: there is there has been analysis by political scientists over over time that often in societies people kind of have a they call it a, like it's almost like the subsistence level so like subsistence is the idea of like you are you know yeah you're not super wealthy but you're able to get just enough money that you still can feed your family and mm-hmm. you can have a few things and you can kind of be okay and mm-hmm. so they talk about that often you know terrorist groups or revolutionaries tend to think that everyone's fed up with society and as soon as we we show them the way people will rise up and what they found is that, yes, if people are absolutely starving, like in the French Revolution, the people were literally starving. They literally were running out of food. Bread was not available. People were, like, running out of food. So people were willing to revolt and massacre the nobles and just do all this violence. We're about but to run out in of general, meat, people are pretty calm. People are pretty, like, even though I can barely get enough, and even though there's people who are a lot wealthier than me, I'd rather keep what I know of I'm still alive, I'm still, you know, I'm still able to, to you know, feed my family or whatever than the unknown. But once you make the known impossible, then people are willing to jump. So I think that's happening in China right now. People are like, hey, I'm getting just enough that, you know, I'm okay. I don't really want to risk the idea of being tortured or whatever because it's not worth it. Then what would you say was happening back when Tiananmen Square happened and all the other stuff that happened back then when people were pushing for democracy to occur there in China? What was happening then to say that the people were fed up with that by that by that ideology? Well, what I would say is that at that point, um, a lot of people could still uh, parents who could tell them, "Hey, this is what happened," you know, before they could remember some of what happened, kind of before before um, before Mao Zedong came in and changed everything. And so there was a little more memory of that. And so people realized their loss and realized they had fallen down a lot from where they were. Where now at this point, most people can't remember what happened before. Most people now, like, they celebrate the government because they honestly cannot remember what happened under Mao Zedong where he massacred or all he called all these people to die of starvation. They're, they're kind of, their new normal is where they're currently at wealth-wise. And so for them, know. that's normal. I don't, I don't know if I can agree with you on saying that they can't remember because people in Hong Kong can obviously remember everything that happened before Mao Zedong took over and made them a communist nation. Um, like we, see it, we see people saying China bad. We don't like them. We don't want to be China. We, do, we don't want China. We see people that are, our, that are our age, but the only difference between them and other Chinese is they grew up in Hong Kong and the rest of China grew up in the CCP. That's the two differences we see, and the people in Hong Kong are able to distinguish that this isn't right. That's the only difference well, that we see between them. I guess what I would what I would, would reply to that is Hong Kong is different in the sense of they are not filtered. Their internet is still 
open right. to all. So technically, they can get all that information. Part and of it in China is that you really cannot get anything within that firewall. They, they shut out every, every bit of history that doesn't fit with what they want. And that's the point that I was getting at a bit ago is there's more going on here than just they can't remember or something to that effect. That there, There's something more going on here that's limiting the people inside of China into realizing, hey, maybe things aren't as they should be in our life. Maybe things are, could be better. Maybe our life could be better. Maybe maybe things aren't all as they should be. That, that was my point I was trying to make is that people inside China, have, there's more going on there than just simply we can't remember, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting how much information, information is a very powerful thing. Now, the other thing is that information, you have to be willing to accept it. So even in you know, a lot of places, people have a hard time believing that it's really true and that, you know, really their lives are a lot worse, you know? People have a hard time remembering that. Well, do you have to accept information? Because we, just to this day, we see China t- disavowing uh, Tiananmen Square and censoring it as much as they can and saying it didn't happen as much as they can. <laughs> I mean, do you have to accept the information? <laughs> we see a lot of people decline information that's outright true, not just in China. No, I meant that I think it is tricky because I think, yeah, I think there's so much information that people can even hear because you also wonder about, like, all these people who censor all this stuff, like these are people like they have to see it. And yet they're just like, nope, I'm just going to destroy that and just ignore that ever happened. I mean, these people know they actually know. So just I think it can make us just see that people have a capacity to want to not believe the truth. They want to just kind of dismiss it and say, oh, let's just not worry about that. And then I would think. With all that's going on, we're living we're living in a historical moment, right? This isn't, mm-hmm. this hasn't happened before, and all that. With all that's going on, I wonder how much that we have today is going to be remembered by future generations. You know, like how much of it's going to be recorded in school books? How much are they going to be told about? Like, are they going to be told about the government delivering empty boxes to hospitals and and care pl- care places? Are they going to be told about? the press conferences where we were told to inject disinfectant into our bloodstream to help with the virus. Are, are, we, are they going to be told about that? Or are we just going to deny that ever happened? You know? Oh, I think, I think people will be told. I Like, to be honest, if you look back at the, at the eighties with like uh, the AIDS epidemic, which was another kind of, you know, huge thing that just was a big deal. There's today, basically the main legacy I get from it. If you study it, it's just kind of like, hey, there was always controversy. Like, they show both sides and say, here's the one side who kind of said, hey, what about this? You know, or what about we're being discriminated against? And there's the other side who was like, hey, you know, this is dangerous. We need to, you know, just push all the people away who might have this disease and just kind of the chaotic response to it. And so I think that will be remembered. I think coronavirus people will come back and say, hey, there was a chaotic response. There was, you know. I don't know, I don't know man. When I, when I was growing up in school, I never heard of the HIV uh like pandemic or epidemic or, or response or anything that people responded to the HIV. The first time I heard of it was probably when I saw the video of um, Diana touching the person who had HIV and showing the world that it's okay to touch those people. That was probably the first time I ever heard about that. And that was probably after school or during school while browsing Reddit sometime. That's the only time I ever heard about it. It was never mentioned in our history books. We never spoke about it. 
uh, in college, you, I'm sure you heard about it, or maybe your parents showed it to you. But in history books, we didn't cover that. We didn't. We didn't want. We didn't go over that much at all. Well, did you hear much about the Spanish flu prior to the coronavirus? Um, I knew it happened, but I didn't know much be, much beyond of like measures they took, or really why, or really how many people died. Or why they died. I, I didn't know anything beyond that until like coronavirus happened. I was like, okay, well, we had the Spanish flu, and I started reading into the Spanish flu. Like we aren't we aren't taught a lot of that in, in schools. Yeah, I mean, I think that is definitely a problem in America. I think is the problem that we don't learn history well, and I think we actually don't. many modern societies really have that trouble just because. We're modern. We want to move ahead. We're like, tell me new stuff. You know, I don't want to hear what happened in the past. So I think a lot of it relates to our our feelings as a people of that. We mm-hmm. just we don't really want to hear that. We're just like, ah, that's enough history. I think we're good. And then kind know. of we're done with it. You make a good point because then we get like so much history. Then how do we how do we cover it all? <laughs> I mean, you got. Um, well, sorry for that technical interference. Uh, we had a bit of a problem. But as I was saying, um, wh- where do we cut off? Like, how do we cut off in history? Where do we cover, I think, is where we get to that point when it comes to things, you know? Yeah, I mean, because you have to limit who it is. And so often, the people who control kind of what's taught in history, that does affect things. Now, but again, those people are voted in by the people or you know selected by you know school boards or whatever so there is some control over it so it is the fact that people are just like there's other more practical things to learn besides history mm-hmm. so let's ignore it kind of thing mm-hmm. i don't know education's a whole another a whole another um handful of things to talk about <laughs> yep another episode um, on that perhaps yeah so we're at 33 minutes um it's been good uh we can we can do another one about technology sometime there's probably more we could talk about it there in relation to how christians should perceive it or uh future things with technology or parenting with technology or whatever um but yeah yeah so i could i could give a little summary here kind of just yeah close sure you want to close close um, out so I feel like uh, kind of what we got to is just the whole idea of like, be careful of how much um, pleasure or just kind of all the media you get. Uh, be careful about letting that distract you from what's going on or really thinking critically about the truth and the information you're getting and not just ignoring it because of the pleasure that we have or the t- technology we have. And just be aware that technology can be a good gift, but, you know, we have we have to be careful with it and we have to still stay committed to truth. And as Christians, you know, truth is what is most important to us. And so trying to find truth in a world that's so full of just, you know, lies and half truths and all that's going on. Um, I think just recommitting yourself to truth. That's, that's the statement I have to have that you'd have to have. So thank you for joining us on the saints of all knowing uh, podcast again this week, and we'll see you next week.